You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. I am... I am in the eagle's nest. It's the first time I've ever said that. Not like the eagle's nest in Austria, is it? Is it Austria? Maybe. My history's terrible. Um, Not Hitler's eagle's nest. But the Oklahoma Wildlife Department's eagle's nest. Uh, Down at their new building with J.D. Strong and Josh Stratton. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you for inviting me down. We're going to talk about everything Oklahoma outdoor wildlife, right? Sounds awesome. Let's do it. Um, the two guys that have sat with me both are wearing camo i am not uh very outdoorsy uh and uh josh has a pair of uh of bow lockhart's boots on which we did a podcast with a couple of weeks ago if you haven't listened to that one you should definitely go back because that one was awesome um but yeah i guess how do you boys like get a job working for the like, is, it, is it like a dream job for you Definitely a dream job. To like hunt and stuff. You love to hunt and fish in particular. This is a dream job. But even if you just love the outdoors, it's a dream job. But a lot of the folks that come to us, it's a passion for them. They go to school and get a degree in like wildlife ecology. And what are you going to do with that? Except either maybe be a researcher or devote your career to wildlife conservation in a state or or federal job. So um, that's basically the path here for most of our folks at Department of Wildlife. Yeah. Uh, and I took a little different route and I started as a fly fishing guide and uh, working in an outdoor shop that used to be here. There used to be a fly shop called River's Edge on May in Oklahoma City and um, when I was in high school and and uh, then really just got obsessed with the marketing of the industry and how do we activate people and uh, help build community and uh, that's how JD and I met through um, through some conservation work that I do with uh, backcountry hunters and anglers. Cool. So both like Oklahoma born and raised? Yes, sir. You know Fifth it. generation. Yeah. With a family that comes from Wales. Got something in common. There right? we go. <laughs> uh, hopefully that's, well, I say hopefully. I think my parents love it here, so they're probably going to move over one time. I hope because they're, uh, I do miss my mom and dad every now and then. My mom, I do miss the uh, mum doing my washing and laundry and everything else <laughs> and cooking. So she's a great cook. Uh, I also miss like hanging out with her as well. Let me just say that. Oh, but, okay. Like, you know, secondarily. 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 Uh, yeah. No, but that, what about uh, Josh? The same kind of born and raised here. Yeah, I, I was uh, born and raised here and uh, went to school uh, here in Oklahoma City for middle school and high school, and then left for a while chasing fish and exploring other people's backyards and. Um, I honestly thought that through my adventures, I would find a place that just spoke to me as home and that never happened. Um, you know, and, and I was privileged to probably visit the majority of fishing Mecca locations and in the lower 48 here in the United States and fish a lot of beautiful rivers and, uh, explore a bunch of cool communities. But my heart just kept coming back to, um, Oklahoma and, there's something here that uh, I think was speaking to me and, and, and keeps me here. And, you know, 
Now, if you told me there was a house paid for in Montana, I'd probably leave tomorrow. But, uh, <laughs> for the most part, mm. uh, I'm here and uh, love this place and, and love our outdoor resources. Mm. So you grew up like loving fishing and fly fishing in particular. <clears throat> um, I went on my first fly fishing trip. I think I was 13. Um, and that trip pretty much ruined me to, to up to this point in my life. Um, my dad and I floated the current river in Missouri um, 27 years ago. No, 20, yeah, 22 years ago. And uh, at that point in time, not a lot of people were on it. It's a really popular river now. A lot of people float it. And, uh, but at the time, no one really. So it was really desolate. And um, yeah, that, that trip definitely forever changed my path in life. Um, my father raised us more as backpackers um, and backcountry explorers. And we spent a lot of times in the backcountry of the Wichita's. And this was before you had to have permits to go back there and uh, we lived uh, very close to Lake Thunderbird so spent a lot of time exploring the kind of country around there but uh, yeah fishing became really my sole passion when 13 14 yeah I don't know a lot about fishing but I do know that fly fishing there's it's like there's an art to it it's not easy it's not like you sit on the side of a boat put the rod in the water and then just hope for the best right uh i mean i think it's easy if you're taught right you just have to be a student of it just like anything else you're passionate about golf um i can i love teaching golfers Mm -hmm. how to fly fish uh, cause it's the same technology. Most fly rods are made literally in the same factories that the graphite shafts of golf clubs no are made. I didn't know that. And so the same technology and premise exists. So if you can allow the rod to do the work, just like you're allowing the club head to do the work, mm-hmm. then you can be pretty proficient, uh, at fly fishing rather quickly. Sure. But it does take some time for sure. Yeah. JD, do you have a, like a, just one thing that you love, like fly fishing? Yeah, no, I, so I'm a very much amateur fly fisherman, just like golf. Mm -hmm. So, um, I duff plenty of shots and tie plenty of wind knots when I'm out fly fishing. So, um, great analogy, but, um, I'm probably most passionate about bass fishing and, um, quail hunting. That's what I really grew up doing and catfish fishing for that matter. So I actually grew up doing some noodling and so there's you know nothing more primitive than jumping in the water and shoving your hand in a hole and waiting for a catfish to bite down on it so yeah that uh when i tried to explain that to some friends back home they were like (laughs) hang on a second you do what with your hand and get bitten all day yeah yeah that's about it it's It's a thing for sure yeah in in muddy lake water or not even lake water sometimes rivers and all the rest of it exactly yeah so uh that's something that I did in my youth, but um, really sort of grew out of it, I think, as I sort of got to the point where I started thinking about <laughs> what I was doing and how smart that might be. But um, I've kind of fallen back into it. In fact, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Director came in a week mm-hmm. weekend ago, week ago, and he said, you got to take me noodling. I mean, I've never done it, and I've got to try this out. And so we did, and he had a blast. Yeah. But it was really interesting to watch him because most people are, you know, very trepidatious when they jump in the water for the first time and they start really thinking about what's getting ready to happen. Man, he just barreled in there, shoved his arm up <laughs> under a rock that we had scouted out, and 
and he got a pulled a 15 pound flathead out so yeah. it's good perfect size for your first fish you don't want to get swallowed whole in your yeah. first experience so yeah yeah cool i mean stuff. are you are you even are you even really an okie if you haven't noodled it's a good it's a valid question i, I mean, mean i haven't and i feel like i i don't retain need my that bonus, right because i've never done it it's definitely an unfulfilled check on your okie card if you right. haven't done it i right. agree yeah yeah it might be a required thing if you t- to get hired here to have a job right it's an <laughs> yeah. unofficial requirement have you been noodling yet no well, come back when you have it's the official hazing program to, to be onboarded at Department of Wildlife. Yeah, <laughs> the, the onboarding. Onboard. Yeah, meet us at uh, Keystone Lake or yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> anywhere, anywhere will do. Yeah. Um, so you guys, you've been been working here for quite a while, then, right? So yeah, I actually have. have only been here for going on four years. Okay, um, but I've worked for the state in water and environment um, natural resources work for um, 20 going on 27 years now I think so um, again it uh, you know the wildlife department wasn't hiring when I came out of college with my wildlife ecology degree Mm -hmm. so I landed at the water resources board and sort of worked my way up there and then lo and behold um got hired here october 2016 when the previous director retired and and it truly is like we said earlier my dream job my new york yankees job so this is where i wanted to be all along it just took me a while to get here yeah and this this new building's awesome isn't it it is walking around you just seeing you know just coming through it's uh yeah anybody that hasn't seen it should come visit us in the capitol complex and come Mm -hmm. check out the the renovated building the department's actually been here since 1966 but the old building was kind of a dump so um, our commission did a really good job investing lifetime license funds and were able to pay for this in cash just completely out of lifetime license sales so yeah that's really cool no taxpayer dollars yeah, people will be glad to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, oh, it's nice you have a really new new building. Congrats! Like, good for you. All right. right. It, it was paid for by, you know, revenue, not just uh, not just tax dollars, paid but for by hunters um, and anglers. And and on that note, maybe JD, you can explain to for people who don't know how does the wildlife department receive its funding? Yeah, no, that's the important thing to note about all wildlife conservation in the state of Oklahoma and in most states. It's funded by hunters and anglers and shooters and boaters um, because they're taxed at the federal level. And so about a third of our budget is federal grants that come in off of those taxes on hunting and fishing and boating and shooting equipment, ammunition, those sorts of things. And then, um, of course, you know, a big chunk of our revenue here at Department of Wildlife is hunting and fishing license sales. And so, I mean, we truly are um, living out the North American model, um, as it's called, and that is basically the user's pay and really the public benefits. It's not just the user's benefiting, it's the public benefits. So if you appreciate the 1.6 million acres that we manage for wildlife, hunting and fishing and, and butterfly, bird watching, whatever it is you enjoy um, in this state, then you've got to appreciate the hunters and anglers um, that really paid for it. Yeah. And you mentioned it before we started recording, like since this whole situation's happened and COVID and 
you guys have seen a huge rise in sales, right? Yeah, we actually have. If there's any silver lining to COVID, it's um, that people are getting outdoors a lot more and they're exploring the the world around them, um, not getting to travel, not having soccer, um, football, baseball, other distractions that typically keep parents and kids busy. Um, they're getting out doors and droves and we saw in the month of may alone double the license revenue that we had over may of last year so um it's significant i mean people are getting out and they're exploring our wildlife management areas our state parks our great tourist attractions across the state of oklahoma but in particular they're getting out and they're fishing um and hunting um as well but mostly fishing this time of year so yeah uh, everybody out there our game wardens scattered across the state our biologists scattered across the state are reporting big numbers out on the rivers and lakes and and that sort of thing and that's all great news for us it's a it's an unprecedented opportunity for us to expose new people to the joys of hunting and fishing, maybe recruit them in ultimately or or sort of reintroduce them to something that maybe they did when they were a kid and sort of lost the passion for it and, and they're able to reconnect. So um, now it's our responsibility to kind of take advantage of that big wave that we've seen the last several months and see if we can keep them engaged and active in, uh, in the outdoor lifestyle, which, you know, we think is good for not just a COVID situation, but any situation when it comes to getting out, it's good physical activity. It's yeah. good for mental health. It's good for wildlife conservation in general. Yeah. It's uh, when I, I did an interview with Lieutenant Governor Pinnell at the end of last year, and he was saying that he, he talked a lot about the fishing trail mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, like the, I can't remember what it was exactly, but he's like, we have basically like so many different types of fish here that you got to tick off everyone on the list or he yeah the grand slam challenge yeah yeah um and just you know he was he was geeked out basically about all this you know the amount of people coming to the state from out of state to fish not just the people in state as well yeah no i think it's a perfect example of how oklahoma in so many ways has for so long undersold itself Mm -hmm. um you know it's it's a great place i love the humility of the people of oklahoma um it's one of the things that i love best about our people in fact but it also means by the same token Mm -hmm. people don't like to brag and if you're not out there bragging about it then nobody outside your borders knows about it and so the when lieutenant governor came along he said let's talk about a fishing trail and these sorts of things. We jumped at the chance Mm -hmm. to to really start showcasing um, what we've got as a state. And Oklahoma Fishing Trail helps us do that. Um, And we do have great diversity in the opportunities that you have um, to fish um, and to hunt. Um, We are the most eco-diverse state mile per mile of any other state. Only California and Alaska have more Eco regions than we have in Which Oklahoma. Which is mad, that isn't it? it People it just is. think Oklahoma is just some flat land, right? Day, right, right. Even the Colorado director that I had down um, and took him from Fort Gibson to Texoma to Broken Bow mm-hmm. um, on the couple of days that he spent with me, and that was all on a side of the state where that was three different eco regions right there. Yeah, but it was. It wasn't until I brought him back to Oklahoma City to jump on the plane to fly back to Denver. That he was, he said, "Well, this is what I think about when I think about Oklahoma. There's this yeah. flat plain that you've got here on the west side of Oklahoma City." He said, 
all that stuff we saw in eastern Oklahoma, I had no idea. I mean, took him up in the Washita Mountains, showed him the trout fishing stream below Broken Bow, noodled catfish in Fort Gibson, mm-hmm. caught stripers on Texoma, um, one of the biggest um, in reservoirs in the United States, in fact. Yeah. So, and the best inland striper fishery you're going to find anywhere in the country as well. So, I mean, there's just all kinds of things that yeah. people just don't fully appreciate or even realize just mostly because we've done a poor job of talking about it all these years. Yeah. And you, uh, for people listening, you can go to the, uh, you can go to the travel Oklahoma website as well and get a free brochure for this fishing stuff. Yeah. Right? It's at fishingok.com. Yeah. In fact, that's, that will really help showcase and highlight. Plus give you more details on the grand slam challenge, which I just got my bumper sticker in the mail. Say, you just, just got a one few done. days yeah. ago. I just completed the, my first grand slam challenge. Now I'm going to go after it again. Yeah. But just got to catch five different species. It's all laid out, and it's actually pretty easy to do. I actually did it in just a couple of couple of days of fishing trips. Um, so, but it's interesting because it really challenges you to maybe go experience some of that diversity right. and not focus on one species, but think about the diversity that we do offer yeah. here in the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, I and mean, like you know, we speaking earlier, it's not just fishing. Right, like people will probably listen to the first 15 minutes of this podcast and they're like, oh, I don't fish. There's nothing for me. Well, you're wrong. There's a lot of stuff out there. Sure. So there's hunting. Hunting. Yeah, <laughs> you're exactly. yeah, talking about something else. Yeah, like just well, and that's the important part I think for people to understand too. Going back to what JD was talking about, of you have to respect the hunter and fisherman because so much of of what they do helps maintain these this public land and access. Um, those WMAs, though heavily used by um, hunters, can also heavily be used by nature photographers or mm-hmm. people who are looking to go on a day hike with their kids or, um, you know, can't really do any stargazing except from the parking lots. But, you know, there, there are plenty of opportunities around the state for whether they be mountain biking, hiking, um, overnight camping, backcountry backpacking, you name it. We, we have all those things. Um, and we have resources of horse, uh, back trails and there's a fair number of ATV and, uh, dirt bike trails. There's some opportunities there. Um, but you're exactly right. I mean, there's plenty to do hiking. Um, there is stargazing out in the Western Oklahoma WMAs. There's not as much tree cover out, out in that. I mean, you can lay back and Look at the stars. Um, no lights around. No light pollution around. Not I mean, one. it's as you can get as remote as you want to get. Plus, with the you know, as I mentioned, 1.6 million acres um, almost that we um, manage across the state. You can really get out and experience the diversity. Whether you want to go see, um, we like to tell folks we've got everything from antelopes to alligators in the state of Oklahoma, and you can go see them on land that we manage. So you yeah. want to go out to the you know western part of the Panhandle to some public land that we either lease or manage or own, go see antelope, um, and you can go down to Red Slough, Grassy Slough WMAs down in southern McCurtain County and go see alligators. And we've got everything in between. So plenty of great opportunities, whether you are a consumer of the resource or you just like to to go experience and watch the resource. And we're actually 
um, now working on a new strategic plan for the agency that's really going to emphasize even more of that in the future, whether it's people that want to go pick um, sand plums, mushrooms, um, foraging. Um, there's all kinds of opportunities across the state, whether it's land that we manage or, or privately. Yeah. And WMA is the license, right? Just to make clear. It's the wildlife management areas. What did gotcha. you ask? I was just wondering about what that meant. What it meant, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wildlife management areas. Okay. Yeah. yeah. How many total WMAs do we have? Uh, 70, almost 80. Okay. That's a lot all yeah. over the state. Mm-hmm. Scattered all yeah. across the state. We actually, you know, when we make the decision to spend millions of dollars to buy property, we pay particular attention to if it's kind of a unique spot where we maybe don't have um, mm-hmm. anything around there to to experience. So a couple of our, in fact, our two most recent purchases, to give you an example of the bookends, we bought a property in the Samboy Mountains down in far southeast Oklahoma, Haskell County. Um, it's got great waterfalls on it. It's got pretty good rugged terrain, and it actually has black bears on it. Um, wow. Most people don't even know yeah. we have black bears in the state of Oklahoma, let alone know we have a hunting season. Um, so you've got that that Samboy Mountain property, um, and then um, Sandhills WMA is our most recent purchase, and it's up. Um, on the Canadian River outside of Winoka, where Little Sahara State, close to Little Sahara State Park, where you have sand dunes, but yeah. we've got these sand, rolling sand hills, just a much different topography. You can see the glass mountains from that property, great river border on the southern edge, but yeah. both great, you know, that one's going to be really good quail, turkey, deer, um, but, you know, if you go from black bears to bobwhite quails on the other end of the spectrum and just a completely different experience why would you want to leave yeah right absolutely and that's the wish i could spend more time out there enjoying it myself yeah yeah they they, sadly they they have to pay you to do some paperwork too i have to do some work every (laughs) once in a while yeah yeah um i think i for me and just like being on social media and seeing the stuff that's coming up everyone is always i think like um, you know, like Broken Bow Area and Beaver's Bend is kind of like the, and that, and I think the Wichita Mountains is like the hot social media spots at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And rightly so, because they're awesome. And the cabins down in Broken Bow are amazing and plenty of people from coming in from out of state to stay there. Um, and Hochitown as well is, is got its own thing going. But what are the places that people should know about that are kind of underrated at the moment? Well, I would, um, I would invite folks to go to our website wildlifedepartment.com mm-hmm. and um, I'm not sure who around here got that website address but they must have gotten it early wildlifedepartment.com yeah but um, you can look at a map of our wildlife management areas and and I would say those are probably some really you know hidden gems out there if you I love going to Ho Chi Town and Broken Bow and I in fact I was just mentioned I was there you know weekend before last and um, I love going to the Wichita Mountains and a number of these other popular places, but sometimes you just get tired of the crowd, and and those places are are booming with people. And so, if you want to get out and experience similar nature um, and yet avoid the crowds, 
you know, this time of year in particular, or even, you know, sort of outside of the hunting seasons, you could be completely by yourself out in one of our wildlife management areas, whether you're hiking Sparrowhawk up in, um, around 10 killer Lake up in Northeast Oklahoma or, um, wading the river at the new Sandhills WMA or Beaver, um, WMA on the Beaver river up in the panhandle or, you know, whatever, whatever you're kind of into, you can really get it away from it all unwind and, and have that experience on, on one of those places. Yeah. And what are the re- restrictions for WMAs for people who want to go explore them right now? Yeah. And so, you know, on our website, there's a list of them and some of them have different requirements for whether some allow camping in places, some don't, um, that sort of thing. The main thing to remember is you need a hunting or fishing license, or if you don't hunt or fish a conservation passport, just because again, we get no taxpayer dollars at the department of wildlife. And so we've got to pay for the maintenance and upkeep of those properties somehow. So a hunting and fishing license, you're golden because uh, you're already paying us to, to maintain those properties and go acquire more um, mm-hmm. or conservation passport. Re- other than that, it's going to be kind of unique to the area. And so I would just say, um, you know, explore, see what you're interested in with uh, 12 different eco regions in the state of Oklahoma. There's a huge variety of things to experience. Some people love trees. Some people like me grew up in Western Oklahoma and get claustrophobic with too many trees around, (laughs) even though I do like to go experience it every once in a while. But, um, either way, um, you can find one of our properties that's going to give you the experience you're looking for. Yeah. And you guys have an app too, right? an app we do um so we've got the go outdoors oklahoma app and it makes it really easy now for you to look at everything Mm -hmm. you need on your um your iphone or android but in in addition to being able to purchase licenses and permits and that sort of thing you can take a look at the regulations and we will continue to update and make improvements to that we've only been online with that app a year and a half now but um, rave reviews so far. It's making things dramatically yeah. easier for folks that used to have to walk in and here at the building and purchase a license or um, maybe go to Walmart or something like that. You can get it all right there on your device now. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I saw in the news recently uh, a gentleman holding a really, really large fish down at Keystone. Oh, can yeah. Talk about that a little the bit. The world record paddle Was fish. It an actual, is it so a, we're waiting on the official certification. Yeah. But we're not aware of anything on the books um, that's bigger than this almost 147-pound paddlefish that was caught. It's, <laughs> it's massive, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. It's, it's the it's the newest state record in almost in, in multiple weeks. Yeah. No, that's true. Oh, so really? on Keystone on the same Lake, fish. Yeah. On Keystone Lake, we've had just a string of um, big paddlefish caught. And, um, I think it's, you know, this one guide in particular that has kind of got it figured out where they're hanging out and maybe how to, how to use the, um, sonar equipment on the boat to really hone in on them. But, um, regardless, you know, that's another amazing story and something we like to feature about the state of Oklahoma that you've got, um, you've got without question the best paddlefish fishery in the United States right here in um, mostly, um, well, it is in all eastern Oklahoma, but, um, and 
it's highlighted by this world record that was caught following on the heels, like you said, a week or two earlier, the state yeah. record yeah. that was caught by um, 143, 143 pounds yeah. and, you know, some change. But it's an incredible experience, too, for people that haven't um, done it before, because, you know, there is basically this prehistoric fish that's um, been roaming the plains for you know, eons and it goes through the water like a whale and just sort of sains plankton out of the water. So there's no bait you can use. You can't bait a hook to catch a paddlefish. You're basically throwing a giant treble hook out there and yanking it across the water to see if you can perchance snag it. And that's how you catch a paddlefish. And so you talk about luck there's there's some skill involved obviously but there's a lot of luck involved in it too but yeah. once you get onto them it, it's like oklahoma's version of marlin fishing mm-hmm. offshore because you've got a giant build fish uh, and it fights and a lot of times you're pulling it against current in a river those are some of the best places to catch them and it's exhausting, let alone the whole snagging technique, dragging a giant weighted treble <laughs> hook across the yeah. water and just sweeping it for hours. You know, that's a workout alone, yeah. but you snag into one of those. Uh, I mean, I've had, you know, up to 80 pounds um, that I've brought in before, uh-huh. and it is ex- every bit as exhausting as offshore fishing for billfish. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It's incredible. That's and amazing. then the story of their their caviar um so you know we outlawed many years ago um private commercial fishing just because there there had grown to be such a black market for that caviar and so it became in the fish's best interest we thought to shut down that private market for it and instead we opened up a paddlefish research center in um, northeast oklahoma outside of miami and now people can snag paddlefish give us the fish at the Paddlefish Research Center. We'll whittle it down into fillets and bag it up for them to come pick up and take yeah. the meat home to eat. We'll keep the eggs, process it into caviar, and we sell it, and all the money that we make goes right back into fish conservation in the state of Oklahoma. So it's a great success story. Yeah. Um, the last couple of years, it's really caught on with celebrity chefs because they love the story of a wild-caught um, U.S. grown, sure. uh, American grown um, product that all the money goes right back into conservation, and uh, and it happens to taste amazing. It does. I mean, if you like caviar, right? right there are plenty right. of people out there that, that don't would but never put do, caviar. But if you like, I would it, argue that it's one of the better ones. It is, and that's again, you know, the celebrity chefs aren't just putting it on plates at their big, you know hundreds of dollar private plate dinners because of the story it's got to taste good at the end of the day and for the most discerning even it's got a great flavor to it yeah so you can buy that from website you know we're we're working on um the more retail side of it now so for all these years we've sold it into the wholesale market and the bulk of it has gone to japan so it's never been uh, available yeah. here locally, but that's starting to change as we start getting smaller batches, sure. getting more into the retail market. Um, I'm not even sure exactly 
who you can buy it from at this point in time, but it's it's out there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Google Oklahoma paddlefish you caviar. Might, you might right. see what no one knows about. Yeah. 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 It's only been within the last year, really, that we've made it available to smaller retail um, packaging buyers. Yeah. So... And uh, I'm just looking at the website now. You guys actually auction off equipment too. We do. That's been quite a, a boon for us. You can imagine we've, you know, with 350 employees scattered across the state, about 120 of them game wardens that are stationed in all 77 counties uh, and put a lot of miles on um, everything that we do. So whether it's trucks, bulldozers, tractors, um, all the equipment that we use um, to grow um fish and wildlife mm. ultimately you know when we start turning a certain number of miles we turn it back in and auction it off and then plow all that money back into buying more equipment so yeah we just finished an auction we'll have a couple of those a year and i think we almost made half a million on the the last auction that we may have been a little over half a million on the yeah. last equipment auction that we did that's becoming more and more popular as it becomes better known as well because right. you know we don't wait till it's completely run into the ground so there's still some useful life on that stuff by the time we take it to auction like some of the government auctions you can buy a police car it's got 400,000 miles on it. right yeah we usually <laughs> start rolling full. ours out about a hundred thousand miles just yeah. because you know we're trying to save on maintenance costs sure. too so yeah um there's got to be some other stories right like we've kind of told everyone pretty much what it is you guys do but tell me some stories of just you know like this guy who's just from Edmund who has this 146 pound fish like that's nuts there's got to be more though there's not just one right this happens a lot right yeah, I, think there's, stories, some, I think there's a lot fishing, of but it um, be great sto Oklahoma stories we featured one um, we were up here for Rack Madness um, and, and met a father and son, father and son. who both pulled um permits to do the hunt of a lifetime elk hunt in uh, the wichita mountains and um really wonderful story that we featured on grand land uh that's still up there at grandlandok.com for anyone who wants to read it but there's a lot of unique stories of people creating memories and um no matter what their mode of transportation through the outdoors happens to be and i think you know, with this increase that's going on, that's what we have to figure out a way to focus on. We have to figure out a way, uh, the wildlife department has to figure out a way, uh, us at Grand Land have to figure out a way, um, us at Backcountry Hunters and Anglers have to figure out a way of how do we maintain uh, these individuals with their participation. In 2007, when the recession happened nationwide, there was a massive increase in outdoor recreational pr participation. And as the economy came back and things got back to the previous normal, that wave really died out. And as an industry, it did a really poor job of capturing and, and retaining those people for reactivation. And um, so I think the big like really the storyline right now is how do we um, how, how do we proactively address what could potentially be a, a problem mm -hmm. in the future um, with the opportunity that we have right now and um, I think the wildlife department in doing what they do the um, with new WMA is 
um, with some other programs that they, I don't know if JD wants to talk about yet, but that they, that they have coming. Um, we have a program with backcountry hunters and anglers that we're rolling out with the help of the wildlife department, uh, this fall, mm-hmm. which is an upland, um, hunt uh, program mentorship program and uh, we'll be utilizing local partners like the wildlife department um, and uh, silverleaf and a few other people um, and more of that information will roll out and i'm sure will be featured the wildlife department will help us roll out some of that information but um, it's about activation and keeping them educated and eliminating barriers of opportunity and um, collectively as an outdoor industry i think right now more than ever we're seeing a lot of unity and trying to make that happen everyone knows that they have to play a key part in it um you know right now with backcountry hunters and anglers you have the hike to hunt uh program going on which is a fundraising opportunity nationwide where you utilize uh <clears throat> under armor's uh, my fitness app and it tracks uh, how many miles you're hiking uh, on per- preferably in public land uh, <laughs> and uh, for the state of Oklahoma, I'm actually going to be going out in the next couple of days and stashing uh, some equi- uh, some free gear nice. somewhere on public land uh, and we'll roll out a GPS location for that and the person who wants to get up and hike it out and, and go find it yeah. uh, will have an opportunity <clears throat> to do so. <clears throat> Yeah, so we'll let him uh, get his choke out there, yeah. but um, I hope that's not coronavirus related. Yeah. No, you're good. We're, um, no, but I, I think your, your your original question, are there stories? Yeah, there are. Every time you go hunting or fishing, there's a great story associated yeah. with it. That's the, you know, that's the most important thing to consider, but, you know, I want to kind of pick up on what josh was talking about and that is you know r3 which is a huge buzzword in our ranks um, nowadays but it's really about the fact that for over a hundred years wildlife departments across this country have been really focused on um, research and habitat manipulation and law enforcement right that's been our that's been our focus that's what that's what it has taken to go from turn of the century turn of the 20th century, um, you know, wildlife populations being decimated in so many areas to having abundant wildlife populations across um, most jurisdictions nowadays. And that's all been because of our emphasis on research, um, habitat conservation and improvement and law enforcement Mm -hmm. activities. Well, now we're starting to realize in this country that there's a alarming decline, especially on the hunting side of things. There's just, you know, too many competing interests and people are moving to the urban areas away from the rural areas, just combinations of factors that are leading to fewer people getting engaged in hunting and fishing. And so um, now we're starting to realize that, you know, so what worked for the last hundred years isn't going to work for the next hundred years. We're going to have to shift our focus, not, not lose focus of law enforcement and habitat conservation and, and research, but really sh- realize that we have to have equal emphasis on getting people engaged in yeah. hunting and keeping them engaged in hunting and fishing. And so that's where this kind of R3 um, comes from. That's what is now front and center in our wildlife department's um, strategic plan. The fact that 
everybody, whether you drive a tractor on a wildlife management area or you're running the social media account for the agency, you've got a role in recruiting somebody new or giving somebody a good enough experience that they want to come back and hunt and fish. And so um, we're really shifting a lot of resources and focus into those sorts of areas. We've done, in fact, we've been a national leader here at Oklahoma Department of Wildlife in our in-school programs. So um, if you look at our archery in the schools program, we were one of the first states to start it. Um, We're now in, I think, 600 schools reaching over 60,000 kids with that one program alone and now we have bow fishing in the schools we have shotgun shooting sports pro competitions um all sorts of different things that we've added to that platform um and that's good that's getting kids exposed to the importance of hunting and fishing and shooting and that sort of thing but Mm -hmm. that's scattering a lot of seeds on the sidewalk too that are never going to germinate and so we're starting to appreciate more that it's about developing more intimate mentorships so to really get somebody into hunting and fishing they have to have somebody that spends the time to take them out multiple times to have multiple experiences so that they can start experiencing those very stories Mm -hmm. that you were asking about because I can probably dig up some hilarious incredible stories I've heard of different people's hunting and fishing experiences along the way but there's I'm more passionate about my personal hunting and fishing experiences that I've had throughout my life whether it's camping out in the bed of the truck with my great grandpa whose dad came over from Wales um, and setting catfish lines out all night and sleeping with um, pillows made of of ragweed only to figure out the next morning that I was extremely allergic to ragweed and so (laughs) my face was all puffy but you know it's just remembering that from the time that I was five or six years old I can remember those experiences um, with my great grandpa or piling up the quail um, on the bed of the truck Mm -hmm. with um, my dad or you know I can think more recently about every turkey hunt that I've been on has I mean is like a 30 minute story that if you ply me with some bourbon will turn into an hour long story but will still have you incredulous about did that really happen can that really happen yeah it so and you know when we survey people that are engaged in hunting fishing and ask them um, what is most important to them about the hunting and fishing experience is it meat on the table is it this that or the other it's the social experience mm-hmm. of it that is the most important and interesting thing about it so yeah. whether you're uh, so it's really about that story and experiencing that story with somebody you love or you mm-hmm. love to hang out with um, so we're looking for the opportunity to build more of those experiences for people and get them more engaged in that experience and and so they can if they'll just get off the couch and go try something once take somebody with them take the kids out um, they will have stories to tell that they will remember the rest of their lives. And in some cases, they'll pass down. Yeah. I mean, I remember my great-grandpa telling me stories of growing up out in western Oklahoma, you know, during the 
teens and 20s and the clouds being dark with quail I can't even imagine that nowadays we yeah, go out there and it's like <laughs> you're the, stoked you find a, a couple if coveys. I find a couple of stragglers yeah. out in that same country nowadays I'm I'm lucky yeah. right um yeah. hopefully we'll see the the skies darkened with coveys of quail again someday but um those those stories live on for not just your lifetime but multiple generations and to me that's the coolest thing about it and it's the best way to yeah. really get out and experience your state at a grassroots level right well and that's and that goes to the changing in the narrative you know the hunting and fishing industry unfortunately like a lot of industries lost its way for a period of time uh, it became about the biggest rack or the biggest fish or so on and so forth because frankly those help sell products sure. those type of stories that type of mentality and, and narrative helps sell goods and uh, what we've seen is it may help sell goods but it's not attracting new people and so yeah, getting and you couple that with the fact that um, all, people also had the mentality that they didn't want to share their honey bowl <laughs> right? at all. Oh, so yeah. Where I yeah. shot that giant buck or caught that big yeah. bass, I'm you not can't telling come. anybody yeah, you about can't it because yeah. that's my spot. Yeah. Yeah. So that just adds to the problem. Yeah. And it's interesting. That, so there, there's been quite a bit of st- of data coming out about long-term effects of urban life mm-hmm. and urbanization in general. And... Um, some of the things that we see uh, from, and, and I'll even quote it from this, um, from a couple of different medical uh, journals that came out. One was a study of 4.4 million women and men in Sweden. Um, but basically, urban birth, upbringing, and, and residents are associated with poverty, environmental degradation, and a range of health hazards and risks. Various social environmental uh, features that are associated with living in urban settlements also act as potential risk factors for the development of neuropsychiatric illness, including psychosis, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, mood disorder, and substance abuse disorders. Yeah. So when we when we actually start looking at the effects of removing ourselves from the natural world across the world, we're seeing that there are long term and pretty substantial mental issues that come with this. So we're we uh, JD and myself and and other outdoor enthusiasts. Yes, we're passionate about the outdoors, but there's also a scientific reality that these places need to be protected. Mm-hmm. That and you need to get out in them. Yeah. And I, I, I just, I hope that this time forced everyone to slow their lives down. Uh, for me and my family, it was a time of stepping into the Lord and seeking through prayer. Lord, how should we be living our lives sure. now that you've forced this slow down? How can we better intentionally be walking out what you've called us to do? Mm-hmm. And. What came back to me was an even more uh, passionate response of getting outside. The outdoors are always open. And I think that that's something. That's our campaign. Right. We've been running. Yeah. yeah. And that that is it's real. And there are life changing experiences that are waiting for you out there. And, yeah, we'd love for you to come join our ragamuffin group of fishermen and hunters. But more importantly, we'd really love for you to become a passionate outdoorsman Mm -hmm. or a woman who's willing to um, support conservation and take the time to engage with your children in the natural world. Yeah. 
And the beauty of it is it's very accessible and it's very affordable. I mean, you don't have to pay, you know, exorbitant green fees or have a, a private membership at a country club to get out and experience Oklahoma's yeah. outdoors. You can go out with $20 worth of fishing equipment yeah. and um, kids are exempt. If you're an adult, you know, you're going to pay 20, 30 bucks for a license or, and depending on where you want to go, maybe you got to pay the city a permit fee to, to access a lake. I don't know, but um, you know, it's 20, 50 bucks. You can have the whole family out yeah. fishing, um, experiencing things. There's, you know, great opportunities to hunt on a budget, um, put meat on the table, organic, wild caught meat on the table for your family. I and mean, there's just yeah. millions awesome. of benefits and it's, and it's really easy, mm-hmm. um, to do. And that $50 is $50 that you get to tap back into over and over again, right? Yeah. This oh, $25, yeah. you know, it's $45 for a residential, what is it? 50? What is it for residential hunt and fish yeah. now? 55? Put me 50? on the spot. For a combo license. Yeah, for combo. Is 55? Let's say 50. Okay, we'll say I'll 50. I'll look at them all. Give or take. Yeah, give or take. Somewhere between 45 and 55. That'd be so ridiculed from <laughs> I people. Like, How do you not know your license? Price? Yeah, well, yeah. But that's the name. But anyways, yeah. And that that's an entire fiscal year yeah. that you're covered to be able to walk out there and... Uh, and uh, hopefully uh, learn a skill set that's going to help you provide for your family. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you're literally, I mean, I, I say it all the time. Like I was incredibly blessed to be raised in wild places, mm-hmm. you know, that my dad took the time, like his grandfather took the time, like his father took the time to expose me to a place that allowed my imagination to run wild, that allowed me to build confidence in who I was, as a little boy doing things that seemed unachievable, uh, whether it was, you know, climbing boulder hopping in the narrows and the Wichita's or, you know, climbing what to me seemed like a massive mountain and getting to the top and being able to look out over the Vista. Those were really impactful things to me that are still impactful to me at 35. Yeah. And, and none of my sports accomplishments which were strong and good and wonderful experiences. None of my academic accomplishments were maybe, which maybe weren't as strong. Uh, <laughs> none of those seem to mean anything in comparison in my mind mm. to those memories of self-actualization and self-realization uh, and exploration of open public land that was set forth by people way before me and now being protected by people like JD and uh, the backcountry hunters and anglers and the numerous, the 350 people that willingly uh, sacrifice their lives to work for the wildlife department. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, one of the things that you do, which I think you do very well, is just the presence on social media across all platforms, not just strong on one, like over 150,000 followers on Facebook, you're 18,000 on Instagram, 15,000 on YouTube, like, and that's where people of, you know, generations younger than us all are seeing stuff, right? And they may see a cool fish or they may see someone go hunting or go hiking, see a picture and think, I want to go take that picture myself. I want to go hike to that spot. Yeah, I want to be that picture. Exactly, because it's all about that, isn't it? Let's be honest. Right. Um, but that's really cool that like from, I mean, I went back on the YouTube page, the first video that, 
the, 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 that the department has uploaded was 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, been on there a while. It's been on there a um, long time. I, you know, I appreciate that. And I think we've got some real exciting things to come on that front as well. But certainly, you know, just within the last couple of years uh, that I've been here, I can think about how that has grown exponentially in just the amount of of followers that we've had on all those social media fronts. And, um, you know, we're continually honing that message to make sure that, um, that we're matching the message with the, the viewers. But yeah, it's, it's an incredible outlet for us. Um, like you said, a huge following Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, mm-hmm. and yeah, and we've got over 600,000 yeah. people signed up to receive our weekly emails as well, wow. which is that's in today's market. That's gold. That's gold, right? isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we're so fortunate and that's the people that are subscribed. And so, yeah. you know, they have, they can opt out anytime they want and we're co- constantly watching those numbers, making sure we're not hitting them too much or sure. hitting them with stuff they're not interested in and watching click through rates and open rates and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's an incredible following. The people that are engaged in hunting and fishing, one in three Oklahomans, by the way, yeah, uh, are engaged in hunting or angling of some sort. So that's an incredible number. Um, it's uh, so it's clear that this is big in the state of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, ninety six thousand jobs in the state of Oklahoma directly related to outdoor recreation. Yeah. The outdoor recreational industry generates ten point six billion in revenue annually. That's, yeah, that's that's for people. Listening, that's, that's a B. That's B. billion, billion, yeah. big, yeah. big numbers for yeah. sure. So, a lot of people engaged in it. Um, a lot of people spending money in it. Uh, again, you don't have to spend much money at it, but it's the sheer numbers that are right. involved that really sort of drive the the economic return of of all of this. And so, you know, my only question is. Why aren't the other two-thirds of Oklahomans <laughs> getting, uh, outdoors. getting out and figuring out what the other one-third have figured out? This yeah. is just a great way to live life and make memories that will last, you know, not just a lifetime, but mm-hmm. generations. And this is going to help you guys obviously continue to buy more land and give more experiences and, and just provide more value. Absolutely. It's sort of, like I said, it's a user pay, user benefits type system. And and so it really just feeds on itself. And, and so as long as we're growing interest yeah. in hunting and angling, then uh, wildlife conservation and fish conservation will grow in the state of Oklahoma. And that that's just good for all of us. That's just improves quality of life it improves the appeal of others that may be wanting to look at a place to move to come on into oklahoma because this is where it's at Uh, by the same token if you're in one of those states where hunting and fishing is in decline Mm -hmm. um, then it's a death spiral for wildlife conservation i mean i think about places like california of all places right you know where there's just you know they're losing interest in hunting and fishing they don't realize the model of how this conservation effort is funded Um, they just look at how can you kill quote quick kill an animal Um, and so they're uh, biting their nose off to spite their face they're they're passionate about you know saving wildlife species but they're not paying in to the very system that supports all of that in, in mm-hmm. those states. And it's a death spiral. So it can go one of two ways. And here in Oklahoma, we're definitely passionate about, you know, growing it in a positive direction. 
and I'll, I'll pat JD on the back here. What he's also not telling you is that they also are wildlife department of the year this year by the national wild Turkey Federation and, uh, had, uh, a game warden win an award as well. Land steward ship award of the year, land stewards of the year and game warden of the year. And in fact, I think three of the last five years we've had the game warden of the year with the national wild Turkey Federation. So that's the entire country, entire country, entire country. Yeah. Yeah. We've got some great folks working for us, doing some great work. So, um, yeah, the, the the wildlife department is something it is is truly a shining star mm-hmm. of of Oklahoma. Whether you're into the outdoors or not, what they've been able to accomplish uh, with limited budgets, with zero uh, support, uh, like other that similar to what other organizations have, uh, to have this many people passionate, educated, driven uh, to protecting, maintaining, and advancing our resources uh, is really unmatched, I, in my opinion, across the across the nation. And I'm glad they're getting accolades for it. And with the foundation that they've uh, launched in 2018, the wildlife, uh, the Oklahoma Wildlife Conservation Foundation, I think uh, they're going to accomplish even more mm-hmm. outstanding things. And that's the hope. Yeah. <laughs> and so we haven't really mentioned people who come to compete as well, right? There's competitions and stuff that happen here too in fishing, right? Oh yeah, yeah like, absolutely. I don't think we haven't touched on that yet. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure people it's come coming back. The Bassmaster Classic's coming back to Grand Lake next year. Yeah, no, not Grand. I think it was going to. Okay. Because my brother-in-law, like, he has a fishing kayak and he goes out every weekend and competes. And yeah, stuff. and there's but, all and kinds he's, like, of the amateur competing. Yeah, I mean, inside. there's major league fishing right. and bass, you know, Bassmasters Classic and those kind of. Um, big league um, type competitions that rotate around the country and, and, and come to Oklahoma. In fact, Major League Fishing is an organization that um, is led by several Oklahomans. Um, but there's also little league stuff, right? Sure. Going on all the time, everywhere across the state, fishing competitions, mm-hmm. whether it's kayak fishing, it could just be bass fishing tournaments, amateur that's bass fishing tournaments. That's what's coming. Major League Fishing's coming back to Oklahoma. Yes. Major League Fishing is definitely coming back. Bassmaster is going to be back at Grand, I think, next spring. In 2021, it's in Texas again. Okay. Well, caught me wrong again. Don't ask me about <laughs> license prices or where the next fishing competition is. I don't remember it all. But it's too much. It's, it's too, too much. much. Information overload. It's too yeah. much. In my old feeble brain. But yeah, so very competitive. And, and I mentioned our in-school programs. Mm-hmm. Um, those are very competitive as well. I mean, schools compete against each other at the middle school and high school level in our archery competitions, our shotgun shooting competitions in particular. Yeah. Um, FFA, uh, Future Farmers of America chapters across the state have a shotgun shooting competition that we assist with and we especially help run the state competition. But it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, that's just one of the many facets of why, you know, people love hunting and fishing or, or should if they haven't engaged in it. Because in addition to having that social experience, that family experience, mm-hmm. um, it can be a very competitive game yeah. as well. And 
I don't know. Let's see. I'm trying to remember the numbers here. I go being bad with numbers, but I know our um, national archeries and the school kids mm-hmm. um, are some of the top in the country. They go to the national competition yeah. and, and win. And um, the last go around, we had like the top finisher and we had three of the top 10 in the country. Um, we sent two of the 12, I think, international archery team. Yeah. Um, two of the, of the team members came from Oklahoma through our archery in the schools programs. Yeah. So, um, I mean, this gets competitive even up to the international level. And if you're in Oklahoma, there's a good chance you're at a school that offers this and you should yeah. check into it. But if not, um, we're adding, I think, 20 new schools every year to yeah. our programs. And that's so awesome. you should ask your school about it if that's something. And, and, the, and again, you talked about it with your life experience, but we tend to find those kids that engage in these type programs are better students. Mm-hmm. They're just more involved. Um, some of the stuff that they learn in archery is it really sharpens their math skills. I mean, they're learning yeah. about physics and trajectories and all kinds of different things as they learn to, to try to hit the bullseye. And, and so, um, there's, you know, it's just good all around stuff, but competition levels are, are fierce and yeah. very fun and fascinating to go watch. Yeah. Anything we're missing? Anything we didn't touch on yet? Oh, I'm sure there's something. Yeah, man, I don't know. We're I'm sure there's something. Time. <laughs> I'm sure there's something. I, can, I guess I can cut this out. We can um, it really easy. No, I mean, I, th- I just think in general that, that we have this, we do have an, an, an outstanding resource here. And there is a reality of urbanization that has long-term rippling effects through society. And uh, we need to be aware of those and educated about them. Um, sure. And what happens in this state and and i mean i was a guide in the gulf of mexico and i guided in colorado and i've been to some beautiful places but and the diversity that we have here and the people that are passionate about protecting it are really unmatched and uh you know they're not the only ones doing great things. The Boathouse District is doing great things. Uh, they're capturing of the Thrive Outside grant uh, from the Outdoor uh, Foundation was massive. And and I look forward to seeing how they grow that and actually turn or, you know, create some urban activation opportunities. And um, but, yeah, I don't know, man. Awesome. Well, people can go to the website's wildlifedepartment.com. And then it's Oklahoma Wildlife on pretty much every social media platform you can think of. Yeah, yeah. Lots of cool pictures. We're there. Lots of cool pictures and cool experiences. Yeah. So um, we just need people to uh, get out and experience it for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell their own stories. Absolutely. Lots of stories to be made out there for sure. Awesome. And you can catch some of those stories on Grand Land. There you go. What is that? Another great website. GrandlandOK.com. Okay. Awesome. I'll put the links to everything below so everyone can go straight to that and click on it. Um, gentlemen, thanks so much for sharing the stories and telling me a little bit about and telling the listeners about the Oklahoma Wildlife Department because I think a lot of people probably were like, well, what do, what do they do? And then you <laughs> listen to this and you're like, whoa. Like, that, that's how much money these guys bring in. This is how important this is. This is how important this is for just health in general. So everyone listening, you definitely go check that out. Uh, JD and Josh, really appreciate your time. And thanks for everyone listening. We'll catch you next week. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.